This is Darrell Alia, and you're listening to the Before the Men's Podcast, episode 122. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye what it do btm tribe welcome to another episode of the before the millions podcast today guys i'm standing up podcasting it's the first time ever Uh, i've seen a lot of people do it so i just want to try it a little bit see if i get a little bit more or different type of energy or a different vibe i don't know Anyways, guys, I'm super excited to have all of you here listening to today's episode. This episode is a fascinating one. We are actually interviewing Mr. Seth Ferguson. Today's guest, Mr. Ferguson, is an industry leader in real estate, meaning that he is known for his real estate platform. And his real estate platform thereby brings him more clients, more customers, and more sales. Let me give you guys an example. Seth started out as a real estate agent. Right, That was his kind of first foray into real estate. And he realized early on that he needed to be an authority. He needed to build a brand. Now, the last agent that we had on the show talking about brand building was Mr. Ralph DeBugnera. And he more so talked about brand building through social media. And he covered a vast amount of information on how to do that in our real estate business, whether or not you're a real estate investor, agent, CEO, owner of a small real estate business or franchise, whatever the case may be. Social media is the wave and he's using social media to bring in more clients. Oh, by the way, guys, uh, that episode is episode 95. Now on today's show with Mr. Seth Ferguson, we're talking about your overall brand, positioning yourself as an authority. And I believe the last time I've actually had this conversation on the show was episode 10 with one of my mentors, Mr. Joe Fearless. This is probably going to be one of my more favorite episodes. And I'm just curious to see what you guys think about the show, because we're talking about building your brand, building your authority, going back to Seth being an agent or starting out as an agent. These days, he's transitioned to single family and now more so he's transitioning to multifamily apartment complexes. But he started off as an agent and he realized that the way for him to bring in more sales, to create more revenue, to grow in his business was to become an authority. So one of the first things he did was create a product. And I always advise as real estate entrepreneurs that we create products and services around our main business. So that's what Seth did. He created a book. And not just any book, an amazing book that has gone on to bring him deal after deal after deal, that has gone on to get him shows on podcasts, that has gone on to get him featured on television shows, that has gone on to have him create his own show. This all started from a book. This book has created an environment where Seth is now getting invited to speak at a TEDx conference. So you see, Seth started by realizing that just by having a product, an ancillary product in his business as a realtor, Again, most realtors wouldn't even think to do something like this, right? And that's why you guys listen to this podcast. But just by having an ancillary product, he's not only able to bring in more revenue in his primary business, but he literally was able to blow his entire business out of the water with all of the other things that this one little book did for him. So years later, he goes on and he creates podcasts and he creates a ton of other things to make sure that he continues to remain an authority in the real estate world. So if you're like, I'm just now starting out, DeRay, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be creating a product or service, or who am I to create a course, or who am I to who am I to start a newsletter, who am I to start hosting a meetup? All of that will go out of the window today when you realize that you start from where you are and you grow from there. Now, imagine Seth building up his entire real estate portfolio. He's built his dream life. And then one day, his spouse completely wipes him out. She takes everything. So Seth is literally at the bottom. He's, he's at his worst. 
And most people, they'd give up, they'd complain, they'd be like, marriage is not for me. They'd be like, real estate is not for me. They'd be like, financial freedom is not for me. I'm going back to get a nine to five. I cannot do this. This is crazy. I need stability. But Seth used that tragedy and turned it into triumph and created his actual story. And now that story is a part of his brand. Now that story encourages hundreds, if not probably thousands of people. So we talk about the reframe. We talk about brand building. We talk about creating an authority, even in your little niche, even in a small niche. Even if you're just getting started, you can still build up your authority. So using one more example from Seth, and you guys will hear all this in the episode, but this is how excited I am for you guys to hear it. Using one more example, Seth was able with that, with that first book, and he's created many products and services since then, but Seth was able with that first book to increase his prices. The average real estate commission on a deal is 6%, 3% to the buyer, 3% to the seller. But Seth believed that he was worth more. Not only did he believe that he was worth more, he positioned himself to be worth more so that if five or six agents are hounding a seller, that seller is nine times out of 10 going to go with Seth because he's an authority, because he has a brand, because he has a book that literally lays out everything that the seller was wondering. It's crazy. So it's like, hey, like you have these other five realtors who are great at their job and great at what they do and and charge all 6% commission. But then you have this other realtor who's just as great as his job, who's great at what he does, who charges a higher commission but he's an authority. He's looked at as the expert. And if you can position yourself like that, that's when things really change in your business. Now, if you're like, whoa, whoa, Dara, I haven't even gotten started yet. I just want to learn how to invest and get started in real estate. Well, guys, if you're, if you're in that boat, head over to beforethemains.com right now. But if you're starting to build your business, or if you've already been building your business for a while and you're working on your brand, you're working on, working on building your online authority so you can get more clients, more customers, more leads, more sellers, more buyers, this episode is for you. And if you're just not starting out again, this episode is going to be super valuable because you know exactly what to do and what not to do in these specific situations as you start on your real estate investing journey. I kind of like podcasting standing up. This is actually pretty fun. For those of you that don't already know, I'll be opening up registration for the Before the Man's Mastermind at the end of this month. So if you're listening to this episode, you're listening to my voice here in August of 2019, and you're interested in Before the Man's Mastermind. I'll be opening up registration by the end of this month, guys. So if you if you want some type of notification, if you want me to hit you up personally, if you want to know as soon as doors open, as soon as you're able to register and apply to become a part of my mastermind, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash mastermind and go ahead and get on the waiting list. And I'll notify you personally as soon as the mastermind is open. This is the second and last time that my mastermind will be open for registration in the year of 2019. So do not procrastinate. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash mastermind. Okay, ladies and gents, let's get to the tip of the week and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes with Mr. Seth Ferguson and talk about exactly how you become an authority in this crazy, noisy real estate world where there are a ton of offers and there are a ton of people that are wanting to represent you or coach you or teach you or or sell your home for you or or manage your units for you. All this noise. How do you stand out amongst everybody else? That's what we're talking about on today's show. Now let's get to it. DeRay's tip of the week. I have five steps for creating a partnership that drives business growth for both of your businesses, you and your partner. Now we've heard about how to create a, a proper partnership and how and what type, what to look for in, in, in partners and how to create a strategic alliance. And but but sometimes I don't think we we really fully conceptualize how it's supposed to be done and, and what scenarios really make sense for this. So for example, I have a, a group of mastermind members who have a ton of different experience in different areas, right? Have a ton of different um, connections in different places at different levels, and people that I have no idea about, people that the other members have no idea about, right? Resources that ordinarily another mastermind member would have no access to, but because of these strategic alliances and partnerships, it's like a big brain, right? And we all have access to all these things. But let's say you're not in a mastermind group. How do you know when and how and if you should create a strategic partnership? Again, I have five steps. Step number one, alignment of core values. So when I do mastermind intake, which is coming up at the end of this month, if you head over to beforethemans.com forward slash mastermind, you'll know all about it. But when I do mastermind intake, the first thing I look for in somebody that I love to have as a member is an alignment of core values. This is the single most important factor in any close relationship, right? Most of the people that you're friends with, you're friends with them because you guys align in a lot of your values. Maybe you guys uphold the same standards. Maybe you guys believe in the same things. Maybe you guys love to talk about the same topics. Well, this is also critical in business as well. An alignment of core values. 
what your business represents, what you represent as a business owner. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is long-term shared purpose. So why are you doing what you're doing? Why is your partner doing what they're doing? Where are you going, right? It makes no sense to partner with somebody in which you guys have, have differing values or differing visions about what the outcome should look like. So I use a podcast for an example. I see um, there are a ton of people who do co-hosted podcast shows, right? Right, With two people that are hosting one podcast. And these podcasts are often amazing because the back and forth banter. But imagine if their goals are a bit different. Imagine if one is focusing on growth while another one is focusing on sales. So the person who's focusing on sales, all of their decisions would be derived from their ultimate end goal, from their ultimate end vision, right? So if their visions at the end are not aligned, there's going to be a lot of clashing on how to conduct the podcast, how long it should be, who should be on it, all that good stuff. So long-term shared purpose is absolutely critical when it comes to strategic partnerships. Okay. Number three is complementary strengths. Let me give you guys an example. Last episode, episode 121. Secrets from profiting from short-term rentals, Airbnbs, corporate housing, the works, like really profiting, not just making a few bucks, but like really, really profiting. Me and Al Williamson talk about those secrets. Now, my area of expertise, I help people get started in real estate and build up their real estate system, right? And I help people implement creative strategies so that they don't use all of their money on their down payment. Rather, they use their money on their marketing efforts. So that's my strategy. That's what I do. And this is mostly in the single family space and the small multifamily space, right? And if you want to learn more about that, head over to beforethemans.com. So that's my space when I help first-time investors. And then my secondary space is helping experienced entrepreneurs, right? Experienced coaches and consultants, experienced thought leaders in real estate, or people who have a desire to be a thought leader so that they can get more sales, right? So you could be an agent, you could be an app developer, you can be a consultant. You could be a notary public, a loan signing agent. I had a workshop client last year who also owned a trash pickup service for apartment buildings. So, so there's so many niches, right? There's so many different types of real estate entrepreneurs. So when it comes to helping these types of people, these are not first-time real estate entrepreneurs or first-time real estate investors looking to buy their first investment property. These people are looking to grow and scale their business and get more sales and become an authority. These people tend to often want to join my mastermind rather than my workshop because it's a completely different experience. It's a completely different goal. It's a completely different vision. So these are the audiences that I cater to. But going back to Al, Al caters to a completely different audience. He's in short-term rentals. He's in Airbnbs. So although I have thousands of people listening to the show, not everybody's going to do what I do or even want to do what I do. That's why we have guests on the show with their strategies so that it's like, hey, if this makes sense for you, go down this path. But you see, Al and I have complementary strengths. So that means that if I have any listeners who are like, hey, like I've been thinking about getting into short-term rentals, I've been thinking about getting into Airbnbs, and they hear that podcast episode, why not create a strategic partnership with Al so that I can drive some of my people who trust that I vetted Al who trust that I've built a strategic partnership with somebody who has the same alignment of core values and long-term shared purpose as me, why don't I recommend Al to them so that they can get started with Al if that's what they're looking for? Again, complementary strengths. In fact, we did exactly this. So if you're interested in getting started in Airbnb and don't know where to start, head over to beforethemans.com forward slash scientist because Al is known as the landlord scientist. So his backlink is beforethemans.com forward slash scientist, and Al will help you get started because I have an alignment of core values with Al. I trust Al to present Al to my audience and know that he'll take care of my audience in an amazing way. I think he's also offering you guys a discount. So that's over at beforethemans.com forward slash scientist. But that's number three, complementary strengths. Number four, legal documents. Just because we're friends today doesn't mean we'll be friends tomorrow. Now I'm just playing, but you need legal documents for everything. Any agreement that you come to with anybody that you work with, you need to go ahead and drop some type of legal documents. Even if you think it's not a big deal, even if you think uh, we'll figure it out when, when the time comes. This episode will tell you exactly why you need to either have that tough conversation or drop some type of legal, legal document with anybody who is a partner of yours. And then this even comes down to having that, that weird but, but often needed conversation with your spouse. Because we want to be on the same page. We both want to know that we're going into this partnership with the same vision. And if one of us decides to change or something happens, we need to know how to deal with that. So that is number four, legal documentation. And last but not least, schedule strategic planning. Revisit and revamp. Revisit and revise, right? Schedule some type of strategic planning session. Two, three, four, six months 
down the line or every month or every week, however your partnership is structured. Be proactive about this. Be intentional about this. Communicate your ideas. Communicate the results of this partnership. Communicate how you can move forward, right? This is how you grow and build on these partnerships. What may start out as an affiliate partnership can turn into a full-fledged partnership to where you guys are doing deals together. So step number one, alignment of core goals. Step number two, long-term shared purposes. Step number three, complementary strengths. Step number four, legal documents. And last but not least, step number five, revisit and revise, aka strategic planning. These are my five steps for creating a partnership that drives business growth in your real estate entrepreneurial journey. Now, ladies and gents, let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Hey, Seth, how's it going today? Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Where am I talking to you from today? I am just outside of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. So are you at home? Are you at work? I'm kind of seeing like this, this bookshelf set up. Is this kind of the, the bookshelf set up in your office? Where are you currently right now? Yeah, this is the home office. Home office. Nice, nice, yeah, nice. My, are you? My, my, my son is sick today. So <laughs> yeah. But you, you don't often work from home. Uh, well, I, usually I do because I've got all my recording set up here and, and, all, and all that stuff. We're, real estate's amazing because you, know, you can do your, all your due diligence, all your, most of your deals, unless you're physically at the property you know, from the comfort of your home office. This show is primarily predicated on lifestyle design, so I'm glad that you touched on that. We're going to actually get into some, of, some more of your lifestyle design a little bit later on the show, but let's, let's kind of take it back in the time machine, Seth. Let's, let's kind of figure out where all of this came from. I mean, you're an investor. I think your preference these days is now multifamily, but I think you started in a little bit of a different space. Um, you're an author, you're a speaker, so you've, you've been able to create products and services around your real estate business, and that's what the bulk of today's conversation is going to be about. But where did all of this start? I mean, take us back into the time machine. Paint that picture for us. Well, you know what? It has nothing to do with real estate and has nothing to do with business. So back in the day, I was trying to make the NHL as a professional hockey referee. Wow. I, you know, I played hockey, realized that I was going for the refereeing. So I actually spent a year, I uh, lived in the States. Uh, my home was in Minnesota. Um, worked a whole bunch of minor pro leagues and some junior leagues. Yeah, so I uh, lived there for a year. I did some pro leagues. And uh, so I came back to Ontario. I uh, did some other leagues and I realized I needed to have a real job and not just trying to make the NHL because a lot of my friends made it so I can turn on the TV and see them, but I, I didn't make the cut. Um, so I got into uh, residential real estate sales. My, my father was involved um, in selling real estate at the time. So that, that, was, that was my entry into real estate as a, as a whole did really well with it. Uh, but then I realized that, you know, I was making what most people would call good, really good money. I had, you know, the, the really nice house with the waterfalls and the pool. I had the nice cars, all that stuff. But, you know, commission comes in, commission goes out to your expenses. And I realized that I didn't have any real assets um, that I was keeping a hold of. So then I, my mind switched to, okay, well, now I have to start acquiring real estate, a product that I know because I sold it and start building a portfolio. Was there ever a thought to start your own brokerage? No, I had considered it. However, residential real estate salespeople, you have to hold their hand a lot. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, parenting that goes along with it. And honestly, right now, just the way the market shifted in terms of a sales representative versus a broker, the, the profit margins are so thin on the broker. Uh, on the brokerage side, you're almost better off creating a real estate team under the brokerage and you know, your margins are a lot better. Interesting. Interesting. So you had, and what, what, what year was this that you, that you made this decision to go from, hey, I'm an agent solely to I want to start getting into investments? Uh, probably about five, five years ago, five years ago. So relatively recently, I, I'm 32 now. Um, so I was in my mid, mid to late twenties, somewhere around there. Nice, nice, nice. So what, what did that transition look like for you? What did, what did, um, how long did it take? Was it, was it a major learning curve? Were you already super experienced? Did you have all the intangibles? Kind of walk through that process for me. Yeah, well, my, my personality is once I decide to do something, I become obsessed with it. So I had read almost every single real estate investing book you had, you know, that's out there. I watched every single, you know, YouTube channel on real estate investing. And I, I think, 
you know, most importantly, I had the comfort in the product because I was selling it day to day. So that the first property, it was a bungalow that was uh, converted into a duplex. So put in a basement apartment, you know, that was a great cash flowing property in one of the craziest markets in the world, Toronto, where cash flow does not exist. And then, you know, you acquire another one. So you acquire a condo, then you acquire a detached pro- another detached property. So that's where it started. And then I hit a pretty major speed bump and basically uh, lost it all. Um, and, and then you have to start from scratch. Yeah. Can you, do you mind, do you mind uh, expanding and kind of opening up on that speed bump? I know it's uh, it may be a bruise to, to not, to not oh, want to no, cover, but I know that that's, that's where the gold is for a lot of the listeners. Yeah, no, uh, I told you I'd go into anything. So th- this is a juicy story. So I'd, um, I'd actually met my, uh, my now ex. Um, she was selling real estate too. We built a business. Uh, we were acquiring properties together. And uh, one day she decided to uh, take six figures out of the bank accounts, wiped out the bank accounts, changed the locks on her home, stole my car. I found my clothes in a storage unit with garbage. And uh, so what happened was, I was homeless. I had no money. She took it all. And uh, we were both on title on all these properties. And as everybody knows, if a tenant moves out, your income goes from, you know, whatever it was to zero. And if uh, one person refuses to sign to lease the property again, you end up in a very serious situation that is not fun to deal with. So yeah, it was basically a worst case scenario uh, in terms of a separation. That is crazy, Seth. And talk about spite. I mean, OMG. (laughs) There were some some other mental health issues going on in that too. But um, I I learned a couple really, really good lessons. I I would say the first one was, even though you have everything today, like, you know, the million dollar house, the cars, all that stuff. Next day, like for me, it literally went from one day you have all that stuff to the next day you have no house. Um, you know, all your money's gone. You know, I was inside the gym and then my car was taken from the gym parking lot by her. We caught it on the, ca- on the surveillance footage. Wow. Oh, it, it was, it was nuts. So, so knowing what you know now, I mean, how would you take pre, what type of precautions would you take to circumvent a type of situation like that? Yeah, I, I think my mistake was I never sat down with a lawyer and thought about a worst case scenario. Uh, just, you know, you know, like we have a son together. Uh, you never think that something like that would happen, but you know, things do happen. Um, so I wish I would have sat down with a lawyer and asked them about worst case scenarios because lawyers see all sorts of stuff and they'll be able to tell you, you know, the worst case situations that happen. And now I, I've become that story the lawyer tells to other people. The, the other thing is, you know, having an agreement with, some sort of shotgun clause or contingencies if something happens. So for instance, you know, with us, these properties were vacant and she was refusing to lease them to kind of destroy everything. You know, if you have an agreement that says, you know, if this occurs and nothing happens by this date, this automatically then happens. Um, You know, whether it is a forced buyout or something like that, um, just having some sort of provision in the contract uh, in in case somebody goes rogue, which is really what happened. No, that that totally makes 100% sense. So I thank you for for sharing that story. And also thank you for for the tips there. Is there any type, and I I know that this is not where we're going to go at first, but this is a a fascinating story. And again, I'm so sorry that this happened to you, but it's something that... all good. It's something that you've learned from, right? And it's something that I think the listeners can, can go ahead and start taking any, some type of preventative measures against. So just to kind of think about maybe, maybe one more foyer into this land, when you think about maybe a conversation or a deconversation to have with your significant other moving forward, let's just say there is somebody out there who is looking to get serious in a relationship and they're just like, man, like, you know, once this happens, like everything changes, what type of conversations now that we know the type of clauses and, and, and measures we should take, should there be any conversations surrounding that as well? Oh, absolutely. I, and I, I think the, the one mistake I made was even though we were very joined business-wise, we never, we never sat down and had a business conversation about the real estate assets. It was always like, okay, well, let's acquire another asset. This is what we want to do, build the portfolio. But it wasn't, we, we never had that partner to partner conversation on a, on, from a business sense. And, you know, I, I think, you know, if, if I was going to 
you know, let's say acquire a franchise with a partner, we would be sitting down at the lawyer's office hashing out like the, the partnership agreement that did not occur in my situation. And, uh, you know, would that have helped or not? Who knows? Based on where the situation went, probably not. At least I would have been a little better prepared and I would have known, you know, what may have happened just by speaking with the lawyer who's, who's seen it all. No, that totally makes sense. And yeah. I, I can imagine that this is one of your, 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 your biggest talking points in, in, in some of the speeches that you do give, right? <laughs> I, I'm actually working on, uh, I, I, it looks like I'll be doing a TED Talk uh, next year. So oh, I, I think I'll, I'll draw this all in, all in. There we go. There we go. No, that, yeah. that'll be an awesome story. And, and so, so you, you, you were in a position, set to where you had to start all over. And yeah. this is financially, this is emotionally, this is, this is confidence-wise. This is, this is just across the board, like you're at ground zero. Yeah. What are some of the things that you start to tell yourself and how do you, how do you start to pick yourself up out of that situation emotionally and mentally first and foremost? Yeah. But like you said, basically everything collapsed under uh, my feet at, all at the same time. I, I, I think, you know, I always say I had, I was at that fork in the road where, you know, you turn left and you can, you know, get down on yourself, think of yourself as a victim and basically let it ruin your life or you can turn it into the best thing that ever happened to you. Um, it sounds cliche, but it, it's uh, from somebody who's been through it, it's really not. You know, it probably took me, I would say, three days from the time of losing everything to really figure out because your head starts spinning and you have no idea what's up, what's down. Uh, but by the third day, I remember just, you know, you're, you're going over everything in your head and you almost have to say, you know, forget that stuff. Like, this is where I'm at right now. You know, the, the, the one thing she didn't take was my experience. And, you know, now I've been in real estate for 11 years. Uh, so I, I just told myself that I'll be able to build faster um, and better because I, I have that experience. I won't make those same rookie mistakes. And, uh, you know, it's uh, quite honestly, it, it's been the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, I love that. And one thing I noticed among all successful entrepreneurs is the ability to reframe a situation most people who 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 go through something like that, like it's automatically like, man, woe is me. Real estate doesn't work, or marriages don't work, or whatever it is doesn't work, and I'm on to the next thing, or you know, I, I I'm stuck in my ways, and this is the new me. Whereas the people who actually find that success, it's all it's just another clog in the wheel. It's just another bump on the road. It's just another experience that you're adding to your belt, and you you immediately three days later 72 hours i mean you immediately had a, a strong reframe and i think that's that reframe is kind of what guided you into the next phase of your life yeah no you are 100 percent right and you know e even on my podcast like we're we're both fortunate to speak with some very successful people and i find that the the people performing at the highest level they've all hit rock bottom and they've all broken up at one point, but they've always come back stronger than before. Um, so, you know, and I think too, uh, you know, we always talk about the reason why we do things. Um, my big driver was my son. And I, we can get into this now or later, um, if you want. Totally yeah, let's to go you. ahead. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I was acquiring real estate. You know, I, I, was, I was selling real estate. I was acquiring real estate assets. But uh, I, I remember my whole life changed when my son was born. So I, I remember holding my son for the first time and two things happened. Um, the first thing is I realized how old I really was because now you're halfway through the life cycle and that, that's a wake-up call. And second is I had a, a very intense drive and urge to do better, but not for myself, but for him now. It's, you know, it's very tough to explain, but if you have kids, you've probably felt that feeling where you just need to become a better man and a better person to produce for your son. And that's when I, in my mind, I said, okay, well, we're doing single family homes right now, single family investing. Lots of people know you hit a wall at some point where you can't borrow more money. You know, you have to start bringing in outside capital. And I, I realized that real estate was the way to, to build a portfolio, but not the single family asset. I needed to go bigger in, in the multifamily, you know, asset. It wasn't able to happen at the time because of that previous relationship. But like I said, by the third day after I lost everything, I, 
I was rocking and rolling, taking action. And I think that's that's a good lesson too. Whenever, whenever somebody is going through a very tough time, so maybe you've had financial distress, you know, relationship broke up, take action. You can't thinking about things is one way to do it, but for for as somebody who's gone through the ringer, um, you know, just taking the action is the most important thing you can do, and that's going to put your brain and focus, it refocus you uh, the quickest, and it feels good to take action. Um, you know, you can check things off your list. Uh, you feel like you're accomplishing something, and I, I would say, you know, anybody going through a rough time, it's all action, action, action. I love that. I love that. Beautifully said. And um, I kind of want to uh, jump into the next kind of the next foyer in your real estate business because you started in the single family space and then you jumped to the multifamily space and then you started creating what I like to call a suite of products and services around your real estate business. Kind of walk us through the beginning of that and when you started getting the idea that this would be beneficial to your real estate business overall. Yeah. Um, well, actually, adding the product started when I was on the retail residential sales side. Um, I actually wrote my first real estate book um, specifically for people selling properties, um, and that was that was huge because you know when you can walk in to uh, an appointment with somebody with a book and say you know this is my book, your credibility level goes through the roof. Um, it's a differentiating factor, and you know whether it, whether you are a real estate syndicator or a real estate agent, you know there are lots of people out there doing what you do. It's how you differentiate yourself, and by by having a book, that that's one way uh, to do that. So, so w- w- with that book, let's let's kind of dive into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, what gave you the idea to get to to write a book? And walk me through the process of actually writing that book from, hey, like I have this idea to here, this is a full-fledged printed hard copy book. Um, how long did it take? What was the process like? Did you self-publish it? Um, walk us through that whole gambit if you don't mind. For sure. Um, so I, I would say the idea, nobody really approached me with the idea of doing it. I just saw, you know, I, I was reading all these real estate investing books at the time and I just figured, hey, if these people can do it, so can I. Because I, I know... I know what I'm selling. I know my profession better than anybody else. Uh, so might as well put it on paper. Um, and it was actually over the Christmas holiday. So I, I just decided, again, this is where I get super focused and obsessed. I decided I was going to write a real estate book. And this was in early December, Christmas holidays. You just sit down and you type it out. Um, so the, the way my mind works, uh, I'm working on my uh, second real estate book now. Uh, that's going to focus on the investing side. Um, but I always like to um, sketch a rough outline. So like the, th- the four main parts of the book, then I like to think about the, the chapters. And then after I get the chapters, I go to, okay, well, what are the main three points in each chapter? And so I kind of start at the top and, and build it from there. I know some people like to sit down and just have a free for all, but I like to know where I'm going with it ahead of time. And I find it's easier for me to write. How long, so how, long, after- how, long, how long does it take you to write it? It was over the Christmas holidays, so I'd say three weeks to finish the first draft of the manuscript, and then it takes a long time to, you know, you go through revision, 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 uh, probably eight, eight, nine different uh, drafts of the manuscript, um, that, that, and then... That, so, that, that initial manuscript, so let's just, I mean, walk through your, your day. Are you, are you, is it something, and everybody's different because of... Um, when you're most creative. So is it something that you do early in the morning? Like every morning you're like, hey, I have a timer, two hours, I'm, work- I'm opening up Microsoft Word or Workflowy. What is your system? What was your system at the time? Yeah, well, I'd never written a book before, so I had no system. I was kind of learning on the fly. I, I found what works for me now is doing those, uh, those word sprints. So you set the, the timer for 15 minutes and you just type, 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 type 15 minutes without really thinking about it. Because what I found is during the first draft, many people, like every myself, I want perfection. But what happens is you think about it so much, you, you produce nothing. You might produce, you know, five sentences in an hour because you want it to be perfect. But the, the secret I found with writing, at least for me, is you get everything on the paper first, just vomit whatever's in your head on the paper, but at least you have something to work with. You have the clay to mold, and then it's through the revision process that can start uh, tightening things up, changing things, but at least you have something in front of you and you feel like you've accomplished something. 
So talk to me, because this is very fascinating. Talk to me about some of the benefits you immediately realized by having, again, you, you touched on some earlier, but the immediate maybe brand recognition, the, 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 the positioning of you as a thought leader in the space. Um, but do you have any, any specific examples as to somebody found your book, it came across your book on Amazon, and that immediately created a relationship or a partnership or maybe even, even directly related to some type of revenue that, that you had in your business? Do you have any of those situations? Oh, absolutely. But I would say even more important than all that stuff is it allows you to structure your own thoughts in your head better. So, you know, I love that. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I, I, I was an expert before, but when, but writing a book forces you to really hone in on those thoughts, categorize it, put it in order. So you become a much better expert, even though the knowledge is the same, it's just how you categorize it in your head. You're, it, it, it will change your business if you write a book. And I don't care what business you're in, it will absolutely change you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like people will find the book and you know, they'll, it's a conversation starter. A book won't sell, but it starts the conversation from a different point. So if somebody's read my book, that's now a warm conversation to have rather than a cold lead that comes in. Um, so it's more of that attraction marketing and, you know, the book basically sells yourself because when you write a book, you know, you are an expert speaking to the reader. So you are already framed as an expert when that lead calls in. Yeah. And, and, and for agents out there or, or managers or investors out there who are like, you know, especially, I mean, you wouldn't think, I don't, I don't see a whole lot of agents writing books. I just don't, right? You would, maybe no. that's maybe more of an investor thing. So for the agents out there who are like, well, who are me? Who am I to write a book? Or why would I write a book? Or who's going to read my book? I mean, you're living proof that not only are people reading your book, but you're getting more business because of your book as an agent. Uh, absolutely. And, and even from an agent perspective, let's say you go in to get a listing and they're talking to four or five other agents. You bring in your book, <laughs> hands down. You are the expert. You can charge more. You know, what, what, you know, on the sales side, I was charging a lot more than everybody else. I love that. But, I, love know, that. I love that. I love that. So you, you hit the nail right on the head. So this is why I wanted to cover the, this, the subject matter because it's all about positioning. It's all about authority. It's all about, you know, building up your brand. And, and that was your very first foyer into just having a product related to real estate, but not directly related to what you had going on, not directly related to your business. What was the next thing for you? Was it speaking? Was it podcasting? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, everything really happened at once, um, after that. So, I uh, started the podcast. Uh, this was, um, I, I decided to do the podcast very shortly after my life fell apart. Um, and then, uh, I also started working on uh, my next book shortly after that. I now have a cable TV show, cable TV, real estate show. Um, all this stuff happened, you know, my life was in pieces and, uh, it was all about taking action I, I knew I needed to do these things uh, before, but just the climate of the previous relationship wasn't conducive to that. So it was almost like, okay, it's almost like a horse at this, in, the, in the starting gate, just ready to rock and roll. As soon as the gate opens, you're gone. So, you know, I, I've been uh, putting my head down and, and working ever since. So you had a definitive purpose for the book at the time, because at the time you were strictly focused on the realtor side of things. One, yeah. By the time you came out with the podcast, I think you, you, were, you were heavily in investing. So what was, what was the direct exact purpose of the, of the podcast? Yeah. So uh, there are two things. Number one, uh, expand my footprint in the space, uh, going from selling real estate and you know, investing in single family homes to transitioning to multifamily, different space. Uh, so a, it's all, real estate is all about people. It's all about relationships and it's a very small world. So what better way to meet people, connect, interact, get partnerships than interviewing them on a podcast? You know, I, I've done probably 160 interviews right now. Those are 160 relationships I can leverage. Not selfishly, like people, people get helped out by me and, and vice versa. So that was one. Two, just like the, the, the first book I wrote, a podcast, I'm now an expert because I'm interviewing other experts. Um, so again, that, 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 that raises me up in the esteem of per prospective investors because now I'm able to talk shop and talk at a very high level about the asset um, that I'm uh, investing in. So um, th those were the two things. Eventually, 
you know, I've just seen from other people, their podcast becomes a capital raising platform. It's all about thought leadership. Like you said, you put yourself on stage, you put yourself, you know, in front of a microphone, you put, you put yourself in a book. Those are all the pieces of putting together the foundation of raising capital. Did you, did you think this is what we're going to cover when you first came on the show? Absolutely not. But, you know, I'll, I'll go wherever you want. No, I love it. I love. I love taking things in a little bit of a different direction. I know that you've probably been on a few shows where it's the same, you know, spiel. But here, I feel like we're we're, we're really diving into like how you're you're positioning yourself and building your business, so that a lot of the listeners who are just like, you know, they're they're, they're like, because there there are people out there who who are great at what they do. Right there, I mean, I have, I work with, I have, a, I run a mastermind, and I have a, a a property manager in the mastermind who's amazing at what he does. Like literally, he's he's killing it, right? And he's getting to a point to where it just makes a whole lot of sense for him to position himself as a thought leader and start consulting and helping other people kill it just as just as much and just as well because his his overall goal is to create a global brand. And mm-hmm. you can't, you can, but it'll take a long time, right? To create a global brand for him means like he wants to be a global property manager, right? So he wants to like manage a ton of units like across the US. Now, it'll take a long time for him to do that. He'll have to build up the team so on and so forth. But if he creates another product and service, if he offers consulting, if he creates almost like mini me's, right, that, that, are, that, are, that he gives them that system, that's another way to create a global brand. And that's something that he's working on right now. So I think this is super, super imperative. And I'm lo- I love that we're able to kind of go here with this conversation. So from the podcast, I mean, how did you, how did you land, land a, a cable show? Like what, what's, what's going on with that? So I'd actually done a couple of uh, bits uh, for, for the channel, uh, maybe five, five, six years ago when I was selling real estate full time. And, uh, and they had said at the time that, oh, we always wanted to do a real estate show. Well, as soon as my life uh, got flipped upside down, picked up the phone, and I just basically asked them, hey, are you still looking to do a real estate show? Set up a meeting, I think a couple days later, pitched the show, and uh, it was done. So it, 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 almost sounds, it almost sounds like, man, and it's crazy. It almost sounds like you took your what most people would take as defeat you were just like omg this is the biggest opportunity ever it seriously <laughs> was it seriously was and you know not to go too much on the personal side but you know in relationships especially when you're in business whether it's a business relationship or, or personal if you have if you know deep down inside that that is the direction you have to go to expand your business and the other person doesn't allow that that's not a good partnership so, you know, I, I knew all these things were necessary to take the business to the next level, you know, but again, it goes back to goals and, you know, one person doesn't want to grow and one person does, but I, I, was, I was ready. So, you know, now when I'm speaking, let's say I'm speaking with a potential investor. I have a book on real estate coming out with my second one later on this year. I have a real estate TV show. I have a real estate podcast. I'm on stage talking about real estate. That, that builds a comfort level with the other person um, that, you know, if I just showed up and said, hey, listen, you know, I, I really like this deal. I have 11 years of experience in real estate. Sure, that's good. But if you compare the two, I'm going to be investing with the guy who's, you know, got the show, the podcast and all of that stuff. I love that. And, and, and I want, I don't want people to think you just kind of just dropped down on earth and you were amazing at all these things when you, and, and instead of kind of going back to some of the things that we've already uncovered, let's move next to the next thing. I mean, you started speaking on stage. Were you all already an amazing speaker at your first, your first gig? <laughs> no, no. You know, if you go back and worship and, and watch my first po- uh, my, fi- my, uh, my first five podcasts, they were horrible too. But, but the key thing is, you know, so somebody's listening or watching right now and they know that they have to do that to take their business to the next level. It doesn't matter if you're good or not. Like nobody will care. It, you know, the, the, the key thing is that you actually did it because 99% of other people won't even try. That's all it's about. But yeah, speaking on stage, you know, I don't have a fear of, you know, public speaking, but lots of people do. Get over it. Just do it. Uh, you know, if, if you give a hundred speeches, your hundredth speech is going to be way better than your first one. You know, if this TED talk comes together next year, will I be nervous? Yeah, but I still have to do it. I won't be further ahead if I don't do it. Um, same with writing a book. Lots of people fear writing and it's hard. Writing a book is very, very hard. One of the most challenging things you can do. 
but you just have to do it one chapter at a, at a time. So, so this has been an amazing podcast interview already. And I think about the, the, the average listener, right? Let's just say there's just like, man, like I'm not like Seth, I'm not getting Ted talk, you know, I'm not doing Ted talks and things like that. But at the same time, you and I both know that they can speak at, you know, RIA meetings, they can speak at 10 person meetups, they can speak at, I mean, you start from these little arenas and you build your way up. When, when somebody wants to start, you know, when somebody wants to start looking to do something like that, like speaking, like getting their first speaking gig or finding a real to speak at, do you have a process or any kind of tips for them to kind of follow to, to just kind of start down that path? Yeah, I, I would say don't sell yourself short. You know, do, do I have any business talking at a TED event? Probably not. Am I going to do it? Probably. It's, so I, I just look at it, same with the podcast. Like I'll use the podcast as, as an example. You and I both interview people running, you know, I interviewed a guy a week and a half ago who runs a one and a half billion dollar operation in real estate. What business does he have or what business do I have speaking with him? We are on two totally different levels. I still reach out to him and I still have a conversation as a peer. It's all mindset. You know, do I have any business being on a TV show? No. <laughs> but I still go after a TV show. Yes. Um, so that would be my biggest advice is don't, even if you've only been in the business for three years, you still have a unique experience that's different from everybody else's experiences. So you can use that, start your own podcast on your niche, write a book, or don't even write a book, write a white paper and have it as a download or, or as a gift for a client on your specific take on your industry. Everybody has a unique story. Will I be writing a, a book about borderline personality disorder because of this breakup? Probably at some point. You know, I'm not an expert, but I still have a unique story attached to it. Yeah, I love that. I want to talk to the people who are like maybe like, okay, Duray, Seth, this this sounds amazing, and I'm doing okay in my in my field in my given area, and I'm thinking about adding a product or service. Seth, what do you what do you what do you see in 2020? Is is the, the, the shiny object? What do you see people should be focusing their efforts on? Should it be speaking? Should it be books? Should it be, I mean, even Instagram? Should it be building up their email list? Like for, and again, I know we're, we're generalizing because many different people are in many different professions, but just overall, or maybe what are you focused on and where do you see things going? Well, I, I think video is huge. You know, video has had a big impact over the past five years and it's growing exponentially you know, 10, 20 years down the road, video is going to dominate the space. Will books still be important? Absolutely. Um, I, I would, I would uh, encourage people to do everything. Write a book, start a YouTube channel, uh, start a podcast, start speaking, and just go at it, you know, full on. What do you have to lose? Your, your business will only benefit. And let's say you go up and you speak, and it's in front of 10 people, you will still become a better person and a better salesperson for your business after that experience. Then you can tell people, hey, I'm, you know, I've spoken in front of this group. Use that to speak in front of the next group and grow your audience. Uh, but yeah, if, if somebody's out there now, video online is the cheapest mode of getting in front of your customer. With video, they see your, your face, they see your emotions, they see your energy. I always try and be high energy on video. If I watch 10 of your videos, I, as a customer, feel like I know you already. So, when I'm, so then when you're speaking with me and you're selling me at that point, the comfort level is there. I'm an easier sell. You can close me quicker. Yeah, so. I love that. I love that. And, um, you know, I was listening to a podcast this morning by, uh, by Frank Kern and he was talking about, um, he was talking about this type of marketing called intent based marketing. And, you know, there's a ton of people running ads out there and let's just use realtors for an example, uh, because I think that that may have been the example that he used, but there's a ton of people running ads out there and, you know, they're bombarded, you know, a bunch of sellers and a bunch of buyers are bombarded with all these ads. And, the thing that most people are missing in the space is that they're not really adding any value. They're just like, hey, like this is what I do. This is this is how long I've been doing it for. And hopefully you'll click on my ad, right? And intent-based marketing is is more so adding nothing but value, right? And then you'll maybe talk about, hey, but if you want to learn more, like head over to you know my website or whatever the case may be. And I found that you know, again, using the realtor example, like it's so easy to walk somebody through like a home tour. 
right? Even if it's not like a prospective buyer or seller at that point, but just because they see you as an authority, they see you on video, you're always doing these closings. Um, it gives you that recognition. It gives you that brand authority. And you, again, you're not, you're not running ads to like, Hey, like I can, I can, you know, I can represent you or whatever the case may be, but you're actually just like, Hey, you're adding value. You're showing people things. You're, 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 you're giving of yourself, right? You're explain you have an explanation videos. You're showing people how they can get in these homes and, and what you do for your buyers and sellers. When you do that, you come from a value standpoint, it totally changes the game. And that's what you and I are doing. <laughs> so huge. I love it. Yeah. Love and it. you know, like, uh, yeah, and Frank Kern and Grant Cardone, perfect examples of the impact video can have. You know, those guys are machines with the stuff they put out. Yeah, they are. They, they truly are, and I learn a lot from them. Um, so let's walk through, Seth. Let's walk through your, your typical day. What is, what is a day in the life of Seth Ferguson look like? Like, talk, talk to me about that. Yeah, so uh, my, my son likes to wake up very early. He's almost three years old, so we are up, uh, you know, quite an early hour. Um, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of physical fitness, um, especially with the hockey background. Um, so I, I'm in the gym, you know, uh, Monday or Friday. I, I like doing a very intense workout. Um, I've actually started doing um, affirmations. Um, I actually picked that up from some of the guests I've had on my show and that they've said some really good stuff about it. So I, I'm getting into that. I haven't found my stride yet, but I, I'm working on it. I'm a big fan of um, block, time blocking. So especially, you know, on my podcast, I interview, um, I have five interviews that go live a week. So I have to be able to, you know, be very efficient with how I conduct those interviews. So I, I like to focus those on, you know, like two afternoons, I'll just do interviews and that's it. I'm also, you know, I also try and do the things that I don't like doing first. So, you know, um, before I go to the gym, um, there's, uh, there's the website Bigger Pockets on there. I, 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 I go on in the morning before I even do the workout and I try. Smart man, smart man. <laughs> and, and, I, and I try to reply to, you know, do five to 10 posts a day, just, you know, replying to people. Uh, could there be better questions on Bigger Pockets that people ask? 100%. Hey, does anybody want to mentor me? <laughs> it's so you know and, and I, I i realize that's going to be the consistency and the reputation but i did that very first and that way when i go to the gym i can work out my frustration at having to be <laughs> there you go there you go i love so, it uh, but you know I, I should say there's lots of great people on bigger pockets i'm not ripping the website yeah, <laughs> so, of course of course not of course yeah. not. so after the gym are you typically going into like heavy work mode for the next eight hours or um, oh, yeah. family? What, what does that look like? Yeah. So like right now at the point, like I, I'm, I am trying to fill every hour of my day with something productive based on the, the pod. Like, so t today I'm on your show. I just did two interviews right before this. I've got another, actually I'm doing the Ted talk thing after this with the organizer. So I, I'm, I always try and condense all my video calls together. Um, and that way I have time. So after that, I'll work on my, my next book for a little bit. Then I got to take my son to swimming lessons. And then as soon as he goes to bed, I'll be back on working on the book. I'm at a position now just because of the way life shifted. I can't afford to sit back and relax now because I have to rebuild what I had and, uh, and get even bigger. And even with the TV show, uh, you know, that's a full day. So on TV days, I'm there, you know, I, I do my workout get to the studio. I'm there all day filming because we try and film, uh, you know, three or four episodes in one day. The, the, the TV secret is you, you bring four different ties. So nobody knows it's the same day. I love it. There you go. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a quick hack. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, you know, it, it all, it all depends. I, I'm pretty varied with all the different things I'm doing. So I don't have a set daily schedule, but it's all about cramming things in and just trying to be productive because, you know, right now I'm doing this for my son and I, and uh, if I look back in 20 years and I think I slacked, I, I wouldn't be able to uh, live with myself. So, No, I, I definitely get that. And, and definitely kudos to you. And how did you look at things in your mind? And again, we're not talking about financially or on paper or with your CPAs, but how do you look at things in your mind? Because it sounds like you do have a, lot, a bulk of your effort and your time or a, percent, a good percentage of your time going towards marketing and sales. Is this, a, is it, again, do you look at it as this marketing and sales is all one thing or do you look at it as two separate entities? 
I, I am more of the opinion that it's all one thing. And to, two people really opened my eyes to that. One would be Richard Wilson, who uh, runs the Family Office Club. Um, and the other uh, person would be Joe Fairless. Both have run very successful thought leadership platforms, uh, educational components. Their education is really their sales. They, 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 don't, they don't have a sales process. They have an education process whether it's through a podcast, through their uh, public speaking, through their books. Um, so that's the model I'm going off of. Um, I, I wouldn't, in my mind, I don't separate the two. They, they are one of the same. Um, because the more people I educate, the more people I will attract. And the more people I attract, the more capital I will have for deals. It, it just starts building that way. Not saying it's right, but uh, I've, the, the way I thought about it was, okay, I'm, I'm changing gears on my life who are the most successful people I can model myself after? It's not rocket science. So, you know, I just found two people performing at a very, very high level. And uh, I, I'm just basically modeling what they did with minor tweaks to fit, you know, my personality and all that. But uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just do what, find somebody successful and do what they do. That, hey, that you you are taking the words right out of my mouth, and I'm I'm a um, I'm a big proponent of that, especially modeling other people's systems. Have you had a chance to work with Joe Fearless? Yeah, actually, uh, Joe's uh, Joe and I are, are very close now. He was one of the first people I reached out to uh, when uh, when things all fell apart. Oh wow! Oh wow! So we probably started working with him around the same time. Like again, his system is is one of the one of the primary systems that I look to when I started building out my system. So he's a great mentor and a great leader. So um, I definitely am in uh, in alignment with you on that. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite before the millions book? You know what? I'm going to give a very generic uh, or very like you know common answer. I would say Rich Dad Poor Dad. Awesome. Why is that? I think he does a very good job at explaining how money actually works because yeah, I, the same thing happened to me. You go through the school system, the most people think about money one way and you know, you have to own a house, pay off your house. Uh, he throws that totally upside down with his cash flow quad quadrant. As a visual person, I, I thought that had a big impact on me because you can see the different quadrants and how they interact. And, uh, you know, he talks about real estate too. So that, that, that got me going. I love it. I love it. That is a timeless classic, everybody. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. I, I have to say Google Calendar. You can't, uh, you, you can't do 10, 10 interviews in a week without Google Calendar. <laughs> so, and, and it, uh, you know, you can bring Zoom in so you can have all your Zoom meetings uh, connected with it. It's huge. It is. I love it. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I, I would say right now, uh, the fact I've designed my life to force me to produce. I, I can hear the three-year-old. Oh, <laughs> he's not feeling well today. So he, he's home from uh, preschool. He, he, he gets a pass. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But uh, yeah, I, I would say I've structured my life now where I, I have to produce because my, my back was up against the wall. So you come out with the podcast, five episodes a week, you have to produce. You have no other choice. Um, same with the TV show. You have to do the shows. Yeah, you know, I'm writing a book. I've told everybody I'm writing my second book and it's coming out this fall. I have to produce. Um, I, I think that's the secret right now. There you go. There you go. And now that I know our, your connection with Joe Fearless, I totally see how and why you're producing five episodes. That is that is insane. And yeah. Kudos to you on that. <laughs> what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? I would say it was uh, my personal relationship with my son's mother. Mm. That that was that, and I I don't think you can get a bigger sacrifice than that. Totally, totally. Who was essential to your growth before the millions, and why? You know what? I, I would say it was my son. Even though he was two minutes old, he has had the biggest impact on my life out of anybody. I love that. Love that so much. Uh, last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Because we don't take enough action. Mm. We don't take enough action. Expand on that. What do you mean? You know, that. I, I, I get this, I have this conversation all the time. Hey Seth, I want to get into real estate investing. What do I do? 
So, you know, you, you help them out, put them on the right track. A year later, have you done a deal yet? Oh no, I'm still reading a couple bucks and I'm not ready yet. Two years later, have you done a deal? Oh, well, I'm not sure about the market. They haven't taken any real action. So as, as much as listening to your podcast, my podcast, other podcasts is great, eventually you have to pause the podcast, pick up the phone and start you know calling people, start raising money, start walking deals, putting in offers. I've been in real estate for 11 years. That is the number one reason why people fail in real estate because they don't even get started. 100%, 100%. Um, so the message here guys is get started, pause the podcast and get started. I love that. Seth, this has been an amazing podcast interview. I've gotten so many uh, value nuggets from the show and I know the listeners have as well. If any of the listeners kind of want to get to know you a little bit more, connect with you, uh, where can I do some of that at? Yeah, best place to go is sethferguson.org. Don't go to .com. That's an evangelical preacher guy. Uh, sethferguson.org. And the link to that will be in the show notes as well to make sure that you guys have the .org and not the .com. Seth, this is, again, this has been amazing and we will talk to you very, very soon. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.